Welcome everybody to the Monthly Movie Dispatch, the show where we get together every month and we talk about what what movies we've seen, what we recommend, and what to avoid. What separates us from the other 100,000 movie-related shows on the internet is that we're high school friends, and we'd be discussing movies even if no one was listening. Uh, I'm Nick Moffat, I'm here in Marysville, Washington, we've got Derek Deal. Yo. He's an Everett, and we've got uh, the Bowlby brothers, Sean and Brandon, together at last in Seattle. How's it going? Wow, look at that. They're sitting right next to each other. Hey. This, is, this is something special, you know? And you know what? This episode yeah. actually is kind of something special in and of itself, just because, uh, you know, it's mid-December. Just to pull back the current, it's mid-December when we're recording this. Hopefully, we'll get this out uh, around Christmas time. We just... You know, December is a big packed month. There was so much move, so many movies coming out that we all decided, of a sudden, finally, yeah, finally. Uh, and so we just decided that we would pick four movies and just record it uh, mid-December because there's a few more movies coming out around Christmas. So we did four movies early December. We'll do four movies end of December, and just you know, we just figured, what the heck? We're here talking about movies we like, and let's just talk about the movies we like. And with that, uh, I think we should just jump right in. Um, guys, uh, you all feeling good today? You feeling excited about mm-hmm. all the stuff that we got to talk about? Yes. Feeling great. Mm-hmm. Cool. Well, the first thing we got to go over is our film club segment. The segment where every month we take turns, one of us picks a movie, and then forces the rest of the, us to watch the movie. And uh, we take turns every month. Sean, you had the pick for this month. Do you want to set up your movie that you forced us to watch? <clears throat> yeah, I forced you guys to watch the movie Nausicaa of the Valley of the Wind, uh, the Hayao Miyazaki film. The IMDb uh, summary is <clears throat> warrior and pacifist Princess Nausicaa dis- desperately struggles to prevent two warring nations from destroying themselves and their dying planet. Okay. Um, Epic. Yeah, it's pretty. It's a big idea, big concept movie. Um, I, I feel like it's a somewhat overlooked Hayao Miyazaki movie. Uh, you know, everyone's seen Hayao Miyazaki. Everyone loves Miyazaki and Studio Ghibli movies. Um, but this was his first feature film uh, based on a graphic novel series, and uh, it is my third favorite uh, Miyazaki movie. But I always say that. I think if he had made it later in his career, it could have been his best film uh, because there's so many big ideas and so many such great characters and such an interesting world. Uh, And really the only thing that is, you know, bad thing that you could say about it, not that there's anything bad you could say about it, is just that he wasn't as good of a director on his first movie as he was later on. And, uh, you know, he kind of grew into bigger budget Films, so was this, this literally one, his first movie? Yeah, first feature wow, film. I, I didn't it know surprised that. me. I had no idea. The date. This is a yeah. 1984 film, and I didn't see that till after I finished it. I was placing it like early 90s, but then when I saw 84, yeah, I was really surprised. That kind of recontextualizes it a little bit for me, actually. Mm-hmm. That's very yeah. interesting. Yeah, um, I mean, I think just the, in the movie, he displays such an incredible knack for storytelling that you get to see all throughout his career um, is such efficient and interesting world building and uh, character development and um, in ideas and themes and, and all, you know, all kinds of stuff uh, is 
really on display in this movie um, that he just, you know, he kind of grows into later on in his career. Um, I think, like, the the opening sequence of this movie is, is so good um, and, and demonstrates all those things so well because uh, there's so much interesting world building um, built so efficiently in that first sequence where Nausicaa's, like, going through the the forest she's just exploring on her own yeah exploring on her own and it's just her and her thoughts and the way she's interacting with the world around her and and um you know the way she talks about um her people and the way she's just like late is able to lay down and experience her her or, you know this deadly forest around her um, it's kind of cool so how she follows the guy she saves into the world like into the mm-hmm. main village that yeah, you see definitely. after she like saves his life um, <clears throat> and I just like that from that opening scene, uh, it establishes s- such a great, uh, cinematic experience that, that he takes you on. Um, <clears throat> and yeah, you yeah, can try construct such an interesting story around it. Um, and he, it like the movie just takes you on such a, f- a fun journey and, um, and takes you to so, so many unexpected places, uh, and I think Nausicaa is such an interesting character that we, and, and such a complex character, and we don't get enough of that kind of character. You know, she's such a strong person. Um, you know, both physically, you know, she it, it shows she's such a she's a really great fighter, um, and she's extremely capable and thoughtful and and uh, clever. Yet. All of the, you know, all of the struggle throughout the movie is her doing the right thing. And it's it's about her fighting for people to stop fighting, I guess. So and that's interesting. Like, one thing about Nausicaa that I noticed is she's, like, almost a perfect person throughout this entire film from beginning to end. Right, like I she knows every right decision. Like and she never faults, and it's pretty cool. Like it's great that she's like such a strong character in every way. But I I was wanting towards the end for her to like do something wrong at some point. Yeah, I mean, um, I I, I, kept thinking, I, yeah. I I was just thinking about like how with uh, Star Wars: The Force Awakens, how it was like a big deal that Ray had all these powers and everyone called her Mary Sue and stuff. And it was like, you know, watching this, it's like I didn't I didn't even really think about that until like, you just mm-hmm. mentioned it. Where like, yeah, she is kind of perfect, but like, I kind of loved that about her. Like, mm-hmm. for me at least, it took me a little bit to like actually get into this movie because I felt like most of the characters were kind of like soft in a lot of ways. But then like. You know, Sean, I'll, I'll let you continue, but like, I I did get really into this movie. I loved how it all came together at the end and stuff, and her mm-hmm. her just wanting to do the right thing. Like, there's that scene earlier on, early on, where I think she kills someone for the first time, and like the blood like yeah. trips down her sword, and she sees mm-hmm. it drop, and it's like it's like everything changes at that point. Like, she's an yeah. amazing fighter, but at that moment, she's like, I don't want to kill, which is yeah. an extremely interesting character choice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and, and that is also like a, a character that he revisits, I think, in Princess Mononoke with, um, you know, that that traveling warrior character, the main character from Princess Mononoke. He's kind of a similar thing. You know, his 
they say early on in the movie, I, my goal is to go see the world unclouded by hate. And like, that's his whole thing is he's like playing, um, you know, playing both sides and understanding of both sides. And, um, you know, that, that's kind of Nausicaa's thing. Like she's the, 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 what is it? It's the Pegites and the, I forget the other, the name of the other people, um, who are at war, but she's just kind of going back and forth between the two sides, you know, and um, she's basically like an eye for an eye yeah. to both of them. Well, it's like also just like the like, senselessness of war, yeah. you know, it's like these two tribes, these yeah. two cities yeah, exactly. are just like, are like fighting and they both think that they're in the right and they both think the other side is just like ruthless and it's like, you're uh-huh. both so dumb, you know, you're both like missing yeah. the point of the natural order mm-hmm. of things and, yeah. uh, Gosh, like, I'm and, sorry, there, but, and like the idea that there's like this war between these two people, but on to, above all of that, there's this fungal f- jungle, this jungle yeah. fungus that is going to destroy the world and in, insects you know, in that are just like your, that are just bloodthirsty. You know, so, yeah, and like I love all those ideas. There's so many great, interesting, complex themes throughout this movie. Um, and like going back to Nausicaa herself, I love how much she like her people love her, but the movie goes out of their way to show why they love her. Um, you know, from very early on, like when she first visits the village, you can see that love that she has for her people and they have for her. And then like a scene later on when when they're like flying through the the jungle, there's a there's um, you know some of the villagers in one one of the planes and then she's on in a different plane and she's trying to get them to listen to her and they're like kind of freaking out and and um talking over each other and so all she does she just very calmly stands up flying the plane with her feet and just takes off her mask and just like that moment there's like a silence after she takes off her mask and everyone and it just she demands and commands their respect and their uh, demands them to listen to her just through calmness. And, um, you know, after that, she, she says what she needs to say, gets her point across. And then, and like those little moments, it's so fucking good how they portray her character. And like, that goes all the way back to what I was saying earlier, that, that opening scene with the, uh, I forget what it was, a fire squirrel or no, a squirrel, fox squirrel or something that, you know, jumps on her shoulder and the fox squirrel is, is like scared and, and angry and growling at her. And she holds up her hand to it and it bites her finger. And she just calmly lets it sit there, <clears throat> sit there for, for a second. And just lets it be afraid and lets it understand that she's not going to hurt it. And like that scene is so beautiful and it like chokes me up every time I see it. And it's such great. Not, I mean, it's doing so many things. It, it shows so much about her character and the way she sees the world. But also it's a, like it's about the themes of the whole movie, like just in that little little moment. There's a handful um, of scenes in the movie where, like, she does the peaceful thing instead of doing the, mm-hmm. like, violent thing. And she mm-hmm. shows compassion instead of uh, an antagonistic behavior. And mm-hmm. each time, like, the, the thing, like, opens up to her and accepts her and she accepts it. Yeah. And it's like, you yeah. know, you can't help but I, I couldn't help but think, like, this is, like, 
that could be the natural order of things if humans didn't have the instinct to like fight each other and defend themselves and be stubborn. Like if we could just like be compassionate and open ourselves up to the experience of others or of other things, then like mm -hmm. maybe things would go smoother. We would be happier yeah. and it's just accepting. But and especially like with how much her and her village was wronged in this movie uh, over and over again, yeah. and yet they don't. She and and they don't want revenge. She because she and she understands that revenge isn't going to end anything. It's just going to continue more. You know, more bloodshed and you know. Um, so Derek, I'll you mentioned it earlier. The like epicness of the movie, and I think that's one of my favorite parts. How much like history there is and the scale that they really bring with all these different kingdoms and factions and the whole world as a whole and traveling between these places and there's even like the ancient history of those giant beans and I think the egg was maybe a little underdeveloped this movie was so grand and big it didn't have time to really give us too much of that but even that was just like more layers and richness to the history of this planet yeah. um, and all that was just like like you said if this wasn't his first movie I think it could possibly have been his best movie if those were able to be even um, more well done than they already were. I get that. Yeah. Derek, yeah. what about you? Uh, <laughs> what's your experience with Miyazaki and uh, this movie? I have the hardest time saying Nausicaa for whatever reason. Like, saying and spelling Nausicaa is one of the hardest things yeah. for me. So Nausicaa, right? Did I say it right, Sean? Nausicaa? Yep, I think so. Okay, yep. so. Uh, I think this is my third Miyazaki movie. And at this rate, I'm seeing one every like 10 years. Um, but yeah, I liked it a lot. Um, <laughs> I don't know. I don't have any strong opinions about it. I thought it was pretty good. Um, I really like, I'm guessing, I don't know if his whole style is always like this, but I love like this era of like anime and like the sounds, like the, um, like they're, I don't know what you call it like their fully work like laser shots and stuff mm -hmm. like that like um this and like akira are the two that just come to mind from the 80s mm -hmm. but um yeah i just really like the aesthetics of that mm -hmm. like How about that, that soundtrack guys yeah but even just the like super 80s songs too uh-huh phoenix really liked it he watched phoenix he watched the whole movie Oh, fun. Nice. Yeah, yeah. Cool. Uh, he did get yeah. scared at a couple I, parts. On that point, Derek, I wanted to talk a little bit about, like, some of the visual designs of the movie. And, like, one thing that Miyazaki is, you know, has in almost all of his movies is flying devices and really interestingly designed ships and, and um, uh, uh, airplanes and and is cyberpunk and the right gliders. word for this? It was like futuristic, yeah, like maybe. torn down mm -hmm. world well, where they were like still yeah. had windmills, but they also had this uh -huh. like energy where they could yeah. Fly. It was, well, there was a lot of stuff. There's like these futuristic flying sh giant flying ships that kind of had a very industrial like mid century feel to them, like, like World War Two, and then like they had. <clears throat> they had uh, armor, like full plate armor head to toe. Then they had like swords and, and stuff. And then they had tanks yeah. um, and windmills. And so, yeah, it's like this this interesting mm -hmm. like up. mix mashup of a lot of different time periods. And you can almost maybe say that that's because it's set way in the future in a 
in a post-apocalyptic kind of world where, I don't know, they're piecing together different technologies that that work and uh, for what they need them to. Um, But yeah, like like the way that Nausicaa's little glider, small little single-person jet thing flies, it's just like, you know, it, it fits her character so well. And then... The um, Talmikians, that's, the, that's the, um, the city, one of the cities that's at war. The Talmikians have the, the big iron um, giant flying ships. And then the Pegites have the smaller, like, I don't know, almost bronze looking. Uh, I don't know. How, I can't really describe them. But they have their own look of flying ship. And, um, yeah, just, just love all the, all the designs of... Um, of everything. Yeah, there's a lot of detail. Mm-hmm. Yeah, very cool. Yeah, um, yeah, it, it was a great movie, Sean. Uh, yeah, I mean Miyazaki is quite something. I, I think I've only seen three or four of his movies as well. And um, for me, I feel like I don't know. For whatever reason, I feel like I always have a hard time like getting into them initially. But then by the time they're over, I'm like pretty much in love. So I think like if I yeah. watch this movie again, I think I'll like it more the second time. Um, mm. Just sometimes I have a hard time jumping into the world because he, you know, he drops you right into this very much established world, and um, sometimes I have a hard time with that with um, with anime movies like this. And um, but it was pretty great. And Derek, that's promising to me at least that Phoenix uh, liked it. It makes me you know because Lane <laughs> loves my name is Totoro, and yeah. uh, mm. I feel like I should try another Miyazaki movie with her and you know I think I think Kiki's delivery service is the one that everyone says is like another very kid friendly one and yeah it's just it Mm -hmm. the one thing is um some there are some moments in here that were kind of scary for him but yeah it's Mm -hmm. kind of violent too but yeah um Cool. Well, I think we should move on to the bulk of our show where we have uh, four movies, four 2020 movies to talk about. Uh, we have a lot to go over, so um, I'm pretty excited to, to get going on uh, 2020 movies. So um, I think we should just jump right into that. Um, I just want to say that uh, all of these are available for the for any listener right now. So these next four movies are available. So, Derek, first movie of the first movie of the month. What's your yeah. what's your pick? Tenet, Christopher Nolan's newest movie. Um, the letterbox synopsis of it is armed with only one word: Tenet. In fighting for the survival of the entire world, the protagonist journeys through a twilight world of international espionage on a mission that will unfold in something beyond real time. Is an interesting mm-hmm. synopsis. Sure. <laughs> yeah, uh, I don't know about you guys, but I knew, I knew nothing about this movie going in. Honestly, I, I successfully avoided the plot completely. Yeah, yeah that, didn't, that didn't help. I mean, at I all, saw though. the trailers, but I never saw any spoilers or anything. Didn't hear anything about just kind of rumblings of people's opinions and stuff like that. But um, yeah, I was pretty, pretty. And I had theories back when the trailers were coming out, but it's been so long, like since this movie was supposed to be out and like we were supposed to be able to see it that like I kind of just, just kind of fell off in the background. And um, thank God they put it back. They put it out on video. Um, 
because I don't know if I'd be able to see it otherwise. Uh, and I'm still hoping it goes back to theaters when everything's normal. I think this is like the one thing that Christopher Nolan always delivers on is like he makes movies for the big screen, like almost exclusively. Like They're like events. Yeah. And it's like, God, like it's just they're so big and like he goes so big with his set pieces and stuff. It's like almost a disservice to not watch it on a big screen, nice and loud and stuff. But, but given our current situation, um, I did pick up the Blu-ray, which has like the IMAX shots in it. Um, and it was definitely worth it. Um, they're gorgeous when those shots come up. You like, you can like the picture quality, I feel like gets better too with those shots. Like it got so crystal clear and like, yeah, mm-hmm. it was beautiful. Anyways, um, I really, really like the movie. Um, it's probably one of his most like, you know, nitpickable. It's kind of a mess plot wise. Um, but at the same time, it's, it's, it felt very clear to me that like he had this like sequence of all these set pieces and pretty much anytime someone's talking, they're just preparing for the next set piece it's all kind of like there's there's a lot of all of the plot stuff seemed to be just setting up what's about the next like incredible set piece that's about to blow your mind um and so all the crap it's getting for like it's poor storytelling and stuff like that like i don't know it feel to me that feels like that's completely besides the point when it comes to like how big he went with these set pieces. Cause these are like, I think these are some of his best action scenes he's ever done. And he's really got like, when I'm thinking of like some of my favorite action movies, the last like decade or so, like mission Impossible fallout and, uh, you know, fury road and stuff. I feel like this, and those are like incredible, well-known action directors. And, um, Christopher Nolan is that as well, but I don't know how recognized he is specifically for his action. Like, I don't know. Like a few movies, like certainly inception. Yeah. Inception has like a scene or two that are like really memorable, uh, memorable for the action. But a lot of it's just like the trippy visuals and like, uh, you know, the heist mechanics of it. But mm-hmm. this scene, this movie specifically, like almost every single action scene is like perfectly executed to like maximum intensity. And like it's yeah, it's just it's it's really, really awesome. Yeah. Um, Second that. Yeah. I'll bring up the you know, there really is the plot is so freaking confusing in like I can't honestly tell you exactly like I don't fully understand what the villains even trying to do uh besides just like end the world and but the the, they told me that that that's what he's trying to do but I didn't really understand I still don't get like how or what or mm-hmm. what there's that like is. these algorithms that yeah they're like this it's an algorithm but it's like uh mm-hmm. in physical form it's like what I don't know what that means. Like yeah, <laughs> you can show it locations. to me. I still don't understand yeah. like what is so dangerous about that or whatever, but, uh-huh. um, you know, the, the main character's name is protagonist. Like there's no, 
it just it, I mean it's, to clarify his name isn't protagonist well that's but he's the only name that's he's, given uh, he's, to un, him, he's really. an unnamed I would say he's an unnamed like agent. protagonist yeah. I mean shout out it yeah, says he plays protagonist the movie, he yeah. plays the protagonist well yeah but just like in like Fight Club I was um, talking to uh, Cal about this who's been a guest on the show and uh, you know me and him think that this is like a James Bond movie in a lot of ways like this is Christopher Nolan kind of making a James Bond movie or an anti-James Bond movie like it's like there are times in the movie where he's like kind of di- he's kind of like ripping through the James Bond tropes while also making a like over the top just action piece set piece James Bond type movie and like the thing with James Bond is that you know his his name is super famous you know mm-hmm. he's getting Bond, James Bond. And this movie is like, the protagonist has no name. You know, same thing with like, James Bond has like, you know, he, he's got his martini, shake not stirred, and you know, this guy doesn't drink on the job. You know, it's like, I think there are a handful of things like that where they're direct nods to like, this is like James Bond, but also it's not James Bond. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I totally get that feeling from it too. And it's like, he's never really been one for vague like plots like this. Um, usually he cares a lot about his plot and like, uh, the story that's happening. Um, but this movie very much doesn't seem too interested in that. Like, it's very much like, no, like watch this, look at this cool thing (laughs) we're about to do. Like, yeah, whatever that's happening. But like, this is so freaking cool. Watch what we're going to do here. And, um, and that totally worked for me. Like, um, yeah, yeah, I was um, I was super excited for this movie. Um, I was so ready for a big action, actiony blockbustery. I was so excited to see two hundred million dollars up on a screen, and um, definitely see it. <clears throat> and <laughs> I had kind of I had kind of heard a lot of the complaints about the movie before watching it, but I was like, I, I don't care. I just want I just want an experience. Uh, you know a fucking movie experience again and uh so i sat down and we actually we me and brandon watched the movie last night uh we watched nick's blu-ray um that's cool we all saw it on blu-ray um but and you know i i actually had a good time watching it um it was very confusing but in somehow in a way that i was always interested to find out more even though i don't know if the movie ever really really puts things together i was always like all right well now what's now what does that mean what's what's going to happen next so um i actually had quite a bit of fun with it uh however uh after the movie when you get a second to think about it it kind of it does start falling apart and um it's um you know me and brandon actually probably spent a couple hours talking about trying to just, figure it out just too. trying to piece some things together try, trying to figure out what what happened and what was going on who was doing what and and like what actually was happening in those action scenes and like it's pretty good because different what, people get different things about it and so talking about it after you like fill in gaps that you miss like that everyone misses so I learned yeah. a, definitely learned a lot with me Sean and Kelly talking about it after yeah, yeah. and so like I guess uh, walking away from it, it was really like, I don't know. 
I, I don't think it makes sense, but maybe it's genius. See, and my thing with the movie is that, like, I, I really enjoyed it, by the way. And I, I think that, like, having lower expectations might have helped me with this a little bit, just because, like, you mm. know, yeah, it, you know, it, it came out so long ago. A bunch of people on Twitter saw it already and talked about it. Like, the discussion has already been had. And now, like, it's kind of, you know, it's out again. Now people are kind of talking about it again. And, you know, it, a lot of people are dismissing it. And I don't think it's, like, I'm not going to dismiss it because yeah, I turned it on and I like, you know, turned all the lights down and man, I had a blast just watching this movie. I had like, I was like, yeah, this is a freaking movie, you know? And, um, I thought the second half was a lot better and than the first half. And I loved how I thought it all came together in a really cool way. But, um, I also think like it was way more complicated than it needed to be. You know, my thing is like, you know, what you were saying about, you know, you give the movie a little bit of thought and then you're like, what the heck? It's kind of falling apart. And I, I felt that way about mm-hmm. Interstellar and, uh, I feel like maybe a few other Christopher Nolan movies, but I feel like his, his tendencies, Nolan's tendencies are to be like, I am making a smart movie for everyone and I need to show you how smart it is. And it's all, I, I feel like this movie was like exemplified that where like it, it, it didn't need to be this complicated. It didn't need to feel so complicated, but Nolan needed to like, you know, really make a complicated movie. And I, I think part of the reason why it felt so complicated was just because the dialogue was so terrible. You know, you had these characters that were like explaining what was happening to each other, but like scene to scene, I couldn't tell what was happening. And it was like, wait, why is this guy talking to that guy? What's going on? And like, you know, it, I think I think it does make sense. I do think like there is a thread line through why, you know, why he's going from person to person. But I feel like it, the dialogue is so unnecessarily complicated that it it really like it really confuses you. And for, for no real reason other than to mm-hmm. try to make it more complicated than it is. Um, yeah. I mean, just a real quick go through all that. It's like, he, he you know, there's that opening scene. And he wake, you know, so there's the opening sequence. He wakes up and a guy tells him to go to to a windmill from the windmill. He goes and he talks to Fleur Delacour that Kelly pointed out. I mean, Sean, I don't think we have time to like go through the whole like beat. But then like that's that's, that's a good point. But (laughs) yeah, it is literally like from person to person and each person gets like a five minute scene and. Uh, like one right after the other and it's just like this all probably could have been set up by one knowledgeable person in the movie and yeah it's it's so and it's so hard to follow that and why he's he's and, and then it like jumps right into that like first heist sequence um and you're and you're just like kind of completely lost at that point how he got how he got there yeah, I mean, I agree a lot with you, Nick, with the when you actually like we could handle the time travel like pretty easily and a machine that sends you back and forth in time simultaneously. Like they could explain that pretty quickly and they kind of did at one point. And then there's just this like relentless amount of characters talking and explaining and trying to make like the physics sound so much more difficult than it is. And you just really get bogged down and lost. And I think you're being a little generous, Derek, at the beginning, like talking about how it's really about the set pieces like it maybe it was trying to be but if it was they really got lost in so much extra dialogue to get to those set pieces that didn't need to be there yeah and um like and i think we could have still gotten it like 
once it actually starts happening, you see it happening, like I would have been right there with it. Um, I think one thing that was cool is like right at the very beginning with the IMAX and the opera house, I remember just being like, God, Nolan like knows how to move the camera, like in just the most mm-hmm. epic feeling way. And it reminded me so much of like the dark night intro, those people mm-hmm. like zip lining down, oh, yeah, like definitely. this IMAX camera is just flying through these corridors. And I got hyped at a lot of points through this movie for sure. And Nick, you mentioned the score to me, right? As you were handing me the Blu-ray, um, the score is fucking so tremendously like good. I think it might be my right favorite there. Nolan score, honestly. Like it, yeah. it, like it blew me away. Me and me and Shannon talked about it afterward. We're like, we kept getting confused, you know, trying to follow it from plot point to plot point. And you know, I was like pretty stoned, so I wasn't really too worried about following it. I was just like, <laughs> yeah, okay. Stoned. I mean, maybe I just don't get what's happening, but it's cool. That, you know, they're all talking to each other, but like, I. Uh, <laughs> I thought like every time that I started to get lost or Shannon started to get lost, the music would come back in. And then you'd be like, Oh hell yeah, here we go. <laughs> okay, and it was just so exciting. Yeah. I, I think the movie can't get a pass though on its sound mixing and people have talked about this, but like I immediately was noticing it. The like differences in the levels of sound and like also like how bad the dialogue thing. is. I literally, would like drone out what they were saying because I couldn't hear it's it. A consistent and issue. I started to not want to hear it. It's really mm-hmm. weird that yeah. he does that. It's it's yeah, rough. Every and distracting movie as fuck. Yeah. Like, people complain about, and every movie he keeps doing it. <laughs> yeah, I think he's doubling down um, on just because it's pissing people off. <laughs> what is he yeah, doing? He's just he just wants the music. Doubling down. I don't know. I don't I, honestly, I I feel like I have pretty bad hearing. I don't really have that big of a problem with it. I mean, I, I watch a lot of movies with subtitles, so I just turned them on. But yeah, it's yeah, like you yeah, can't do that in the theater. That. Like you can't yeah. you can't uh-huh. have subtitles on the theater and. Also, it's like the dialogue is already bad and confusing, and then to make it like so that you can't hear it, like <laughs> what, what? Like what are you trying to do, Nolan? Like, do you not want us to understand? Maybe he doesn't Honestly, want us. To, like again, I think he wants us to think that it's more complicated than it is. Like this is my whole theory about Nolan. See, is that I kind of I kind of saw it as like, like I still the I double down on like the set piece thing. Like I kind of think that he had this concept that he wanted to do and it was like these backward scenes and like you know the inversion stuff and i feel like all of the scenes in between are just him kind of being like yeah and then this is and then this and then this and then this and then like that scene in like community where <laughs> uh troy then, just keeps saying and then and then, then. It. it's like he's <laughs> just kind of geeking out about his own scenes that are about to happen but he's like trying to set you up because he's like he thinks that there's so much to him, but like really Every the scene action of is so exposition, well done. Like, like you're saying, Derek is set in the most like exotic, unique yeah. location yeah. for the like 30 seconds yeah. just to keep it moving. Well, and like, yeah. but I think the action is done so well. Like most of that story stuff is told in the action. Like they really, there doesn't, this movie really doesn't, it's like, it's kind of a dumb movie. There's not like that much to it. It's just understanding the sequence is really the only thing that's confusing. And I think, uh, but, yeah. but really like most of the stuff, like when the movie ended and I will say it's like Phoenix was like being loud and stuff so, on top of like the weird audio stuff. So there was a lot of like dialogue I missed, but like when the movie got over, I was just thinking how little I heard anybody talk. I'm sure I get like everyone saying there's a lot of dialogue and it's all nonsense, but but I think I I still got everything, and so I think that proves that he really just doesn't need. It's just 
Yeah, he's so well, good that, at I think action maybe that, that he proves told that the story without the dialogue. Maybe it maybe. proves that like the all those five different people that he talked to, he didn't like he could have just jumped right into that that opening heist scene because all that information that you get. Yeah. Again, it really I think, isn't isn't that important. Like again, I, I think it was supposed to be like a James Bond movie, though. Like to me, this yeah. was like Nolan trying to do a James yeah. Bond movie, where like the action was Except more for, important than anything else that was happening. And he just yeah. he you know you with you know you got to have something in between. You got to have a guy you know a spy. He's going from person to person. He's following a lead, and he's just going from this place to this place. And I yeah I I don't think the stuff in between really was that important. But like again, you got to have that in there was, because he's got to be know. like following uh, something. I mean, like in a James. Bond movie, it's like typically you would have more interesting, uh, you know, fun banter back and forth, and uh, you know, depending on the Bond. I mean, then I thought the I thought the characters were really. I mean, I don't I don't think the characters are very complicated, but I mean, I had a lot of fun with them though. Like I I could watch John David Washington. Uh, that's his yeah. name, right? Yeah. Just, uh, yeah. Hanging out all day and same man, Robert Pattinson was so good too. Like he they're was both just great. Fun. They just, yeah, there's just really like, there's just nothing there. Like they're great to watch for sure. Like I don't get tired yeah, of but them. Like, they don't bother the, me. The problem is that the, what they're talking there. about is, is pretty uninteresting. And like, it's just like all this back and forth and like you can take what you need out of that conversation and bring it to the next scene but what they're saying and like how they're saying it is is pretty uninteresting and yep. you know there's no there's maybe there's between like Robert Pattinson and, and John David Washington and a few other scenes but like um, you know Michael Caine was in this movie and uh, I have no idea what we got out of it. I don't remember what we got out of that scene. It probably moved something forward, but I don't know. Yeah, and then King like all the, the scenes with the <laughs> yeah, <laughs> all the scenes with the the woman in Mumbai. Uh, I think that's where she was. The all that stuff. I, most of those scenes, I don't know what they just pointed them to the next heist. Supposed to take out. Yeah. The next um, set. So like anyway, the point is, it's like this freeway. in a a Bond movie, typically those scenes are concise, they're tight, there's some fun banter, whereas all these scenes just seemed a lot more drawn out and and much less interesting. Bond does care about creating memorable characters too. This movie has zero interest in that mm-hmm. to the point where they don't even name their characters. <laughs> Yeah. Like the well, characters are throwaway in this movie. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. I will also say, you know, Derek, you talked a lot about the action. Um, I, I found that a lot of the action was hard to follow. Um, I don't really know why this movie stands out uh, from other Christopher Nolan movies where the action really is really well put together and edited. Um, <laughs> but I mean, me and Brandon talked about it a lot last night, uh, but like that whole ending sequence, I don't know what they were doing, where they were going, um, who they were shooting at, and like, it was um, definitely yeah, it was the most confusing. It was hard to follow, and like the, p- the the pincer move, that's a great concept, and like a lot of those, the way that it was shot, and also like just the visual effects of that sequence, I think. Some of it may have been a little clunky because, like, you'd get a lot of the 
the people trying to fake walking backwards or, you know, there's a couple weird things like that. But overall, I think there are some pretty brilliantly stitched together, like time bending shots in that sequence. Um, and like the building blowing up, you know, it, it gets to the, the two times, uh, the, the two times meet and then they blow up the building twice. That was such a cool visual sequence, but I don't know what that meant or why they had to do that. Um, Wasn't they that were just fighting. They were just fighting the militia. The Ger- but I mean, no, there was like a big militia. countdown and they're like, yeah, we was, have to do the thing. So we three, two, shoot. Like that was, but a, I don't know. Yeah, I don't, like I don't understand so that. It, it, well, the whole it. movie, all the action's confusing intentionally because it's, two directions of time crossing paths with each other. But that's why I think they're so cool and so good is because especially rewatching them today, like they're like perfectly done. Like everything tracks. There's no like, like that's where all of his detail was put into was the making sure those scenes don't have any like loopholes or like problems. Like that, that ending scene is definitely the most confusing, especially if you missed any of the dialogue. Like you have no idea what's happening, which was me. I was like, literally after the movie, I Googled what happens in the third act of Tenet because I was like, I don't know what's happening in this scene. It's really cool. But then someone just like, it was just like a throwaway line where like, oh, they're, they're fighting his militia and that's his like end of the world thing. And that's the part of the plot that just also just doesn't really like, we don't know. It's just it's he's ending the world just with that militia. algorithm thing. And so literally it's their one direction is going to defuse the bomb. And the idea is to pull his militia towards that group. But they're intentionally going to fail so that the other group that's going the other direction can steal the algorithm without having to deal with the militia. That's the whole plot mm. of what's happening in that scene. Which team is doing which so the red team was I so the blue team was failing intentionally failing yeah, yeah. that kick-ass the, the kick-ass i mean i guess like that might all it. be true and it you may not it might not be the purpose to really understand what's going on but i think that all just adds to the confusion of the whole sequence and like yeah. the sequence the was really movie. confusing it would have been nice if the and it, if it was know, set up, it, it kind of pulls you. I really wish that all that had come together, and I was like, I was totally there with them. I'm like, yeah, you got to get that algorithm and save the world. But it's like, I don't know why this guy's really trying to destroy the world. I don't know. I don't know what the plan for this infiltration is really. Um, I don't know what the algorithm does. I don't know how the world is going to end. I don't, you know, there's just too much that I don't know yeah. to really just be on board for this. Yeah, so there's scene. a lot yeah. to not know about this movie. The movie's <laughs> plot yeah. is very confusing, but um, yeah, I mean, I thought the action was pretty great, though. I mean, I don't know. I think I think we all can agree that there was mixed to, mixed reactions to this movie, um, and mm-hmm. it, depending on how much you're gonna like it, depends on how much you're gonna like, uh, you know, the big action compared to the confusing, overly confusing plot, which seems like confusing for almost no reason but um i do think we gotta move on to the next movie so um 
you know, uh, again, we're mixed on it, but uh, some me and Derek were very happy with the action and uh, the experience in the movie. Sean and Brandon were a little more mixed on uh, on how it all came together. Definitely enjoyed it, but I don't know if it really will hold up um, over time. So um, with that, we're going to uh, Brandon's movie. Brandon, do you want to set up uh, your movie for us? Yeah, so the movie I chose is Sean Durkin's uh, new film, The Nest. Um, the IMDb synopsis is, Life for an entrepreneur and his American family begins to take a twisted turn after moving into an England country manor. Um, so this movie starring Jude Law, Carrie Coon, and they do a fantastic performances in this film. Um, I think a lot of people really love this director for his last film, and I can't see it, Mother Marcy Mary Marie. Martha Marcy (laughs) May Marie, four M's. Uh, Apparently it's critically acclaimed, and I really want to go back and check that out. Um, Those people have talked about it a lot, and it came out a while ago, 2011. Um, I knew nothing about this film when I picked it. Slash Film gave it rave reviews, and it got me really excited about it. Um, But for me, like... Going into it blind, I was really, really impressed and like totally on board with what this director is putting together. Uh, I think it helps so much about how just like clean and crisp this movie is directed from the get-go. And these two performances that uh, are extremely strong, like Oscar-worthy in a lot of respects, and um, just bringing like really complex faulty characters to the screen especially in jude law um there's not a lot that you love about them but they are weird and messed up enough to where you want to know what they're going to do next uh, or how they're going to fuck up next a lot of the time um i think it also helps in a drama like this that the movie has such an incredible strong ending to me in those final moments I think for how subtle it is, it really builds up to a great climax on all fronts with all members of the family and then ends with this beautiful shot that really impressed me and says a lot about all four of the family members and it leaves you kind of thinking about what's going to be next for them because it's not so clean cut. Um, not not everything is awful and not everything is great and uh, you can just imagine what their lives will go like after that final shot after it cuts which I thought was really cool Um, I don't think you can say enough about like this filmmaker this director's eye for filmmaking Uh, the way he like where he puts his camera in a room the amount of time he lets like a cut last on these actors and there's just so much beauty that's happening throughout this film with, with the camera work and the staging and where the characters are moving within the shot um and even the editing and just that kept me so fascinated all the way through so i was super high on this film and what'd you guys think i also really liked it um i thought it was solid you know drama about family falling apart and um yeah it's just from top to bottom like solid all the way through I echo pretty much everything you say. It it kind of felt like a traditional, like, uh, super upsetting, like, Brandon drama that we watch. 
but that that I agree like that ending really brought it home for me and like I honestly kind of saw it as like a really happy ending um not necessarily happy like as in they were everything was like looking up for them but I felt like they were at the end everyone in that family was kind of like right where they needed to be at that time like to really learn from like what they went through and like Mm-hmm. Um, I see them having like a bright future, <laughs> not like, you know, and it's like the movie plays a lot with, um, stat, like social status and stuff like that. And mm-hmm. like people's egos and stuff like that. And I think the whole experience of what happens in the film was really humbling for the dad. And I think like, um, I don't know. I just love that. Like that ending just kind of felt like, <laughs> like the whole family and especially the daughter, like just kind of like, yeah, like life kind of sucks a lot of times. Like, and we're, you know, it's, it's rough, but you know, we're all, you know, we're all going to help each other through it. And we're not abandoning. Yeah, them. exactly. Mm-hmm. And like, I don't know, that was like about as heartwarming as you can get from that kind of a story. I mm-hmm. think so. Um, yeah. I was really happy that it didn't leave me like depressed and like, <laughs> uh, and it wasn't too rough. You see, you mentioned something about my tendencies <laughs> movies. It wasn't yeah. really that brutal a film at any point. No, it wasn't. I just kind of thought that's where it was going to go in the well, end. I mean, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it kind of has a looming feeling. Of I mean, there's, there's, there's a there's, for, for me, just real quick on my experience, like Shannon came in and I was there was like 15 or 20 minutes left and she just like walked in, looked at it and goes was this brand's pick for the month? <laughs> like just, I could have been watching anything. I could have been watching a Christmas movie and just, no, just like, True. yeah, yeah, this is brand's movie. It's, it's a, I it's didn't a even see drama. a trailer for this film. Like I didn't, I knew nothing about it. Hey, when you I picked knew it, your pick, man. You, knew, you just instinctually, you knew that this was going to be your type of movie. <clears throat> yeah. Um, I, so yeah, for me, I, I was a little, um, it took me a little bit to get into the movie. Uh, it had, I think I had a pretty interesting opening, um, but then it just kind of uh, dawdled a little bit, uh, or, or I experienced it as kind of dawdling. But then I kind of realized in the like second and third acts that everything that felt really slow and, and um, unimportant in that first act was really setting up some really interesting little tidbits throughout um, that really paid off in the, especially the third act. Um, there's so many great little, little moments um, that came back in such subtle and powerful ways. Um, like just like the way he, he treats his wife early on Um, And then like how the son treats the sister a little bit later on, like really subtle, interesting things like that, that that display a really complex family dynamic. Um, Really appreciated that. It was an incredibly Uh, subtle movie. Uh, There was a few things that like I I noticed that um, the movie didn't really like show like the movie didn't really like hammer in at all like one thing i i want to ask you is if you notice but i'm pretty sure that uh that that was her daughter like before like the movie like like that wasn't jude law's jude law's daughter right did you guys yeah. pick that yeah, up so. yeah like yeah. at one I, point I was, he yeah. says that they were uh her and her mom were alone in yeah. an apartment or something yeah like and that then but then when he shows his mom 
when he shows his mom the picture too, like it's just a picture of uh, of his son. Like it's like a picture mm-hmm. of like the three of them because she was like the daughter was inside the house and she he doesn't even mention mm. mention her and like th- oh, yeah. but they don't you know they don't really hammer it in it's just like a quick line dialogue yeah, and then definitely. that explains so much I mean, more about the character dynamics of uh, even earlier on like I think uh, in you know when they were still in America um, the daughter calls him I don't know by his name Jude. I don't, I don't remember his name, but, but then the son calls him dad. And, uh, yeah, that was, that was a, one of those little tidbits that, that really adds complexity to that, to that family dynamic. Um, Jude's law is really yeah. good. Yeah. Yeah. Like there's so many moments in there. It's just like, God damn. It's kind of yeah, like, same with Carrie Coon. Yeah. She is the, one of the my. She's my favorite character in the series The Leftovers. Oh right, and yeah. by far my favorite character in that series. Yeah, and what? this is so cool seeing her translate perfectly into this like acting role on like you know in an actual movie. And I don't know if she's done a lot of movies before this, but God, she's like a perfect actor. And Fargo season more three. Too. Okay. I haven't gotten that far. Yeah, she's great. She does a lot of cop roles on TV. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. (laughs) I love the decision to set this in the 90s, too. Uh, oh yeah, it was kind just of a because period of, piece. It was, it was the like, 80s, yeah, or maybe it was 80s. 80s yeah. Definitely, yeah. Maybe, the soundtrack. Maybe. I didn't notice for a while actually. Yeah, until either. he gets to the office. The uh-huh. computers. I just are noticed because yeah. the daughter's music that she was like really into like yeah. the pop right? music at uh, the time. Yeah, it was like uh, the Smiths and like yeah. you know. Um, There's even one time when um, song comes on the radio and you're like, oh, what time period is this? And she hits record to like record it on a tape, so she can like hear the song later on, like. Yeah, and just like the idea of that tech boom in the night in that was coming, you know, just right on the horizon uh, in the '90s, and him trying to ride that wave, and kind of that dynamic between the more reserved, you know, your place of the the Brit- the English, uh, versus the entrepreneurial spirit, the independent spirit of America, and. Uh, yeah, how that plays into his character. And, and you know, he kind of spells it out at, at certain points. But, um, yeah, I thought I loved all that. Uh, I, I liked how in the ending like, you think so much more is going to go wrong with, like, the car and at night and all oh, this. Oh, yeah, mm-hmm. for sure. And the party <laughs> and the house. And I, just, I thought so much more was going to go wrong. And it's and the, I think the movie knows that, yeah. too. And they're, mm-hmm. like, cutting up the right moments to, like, freak you out. Um, yeah, definitely. Well, the soundtrack, the soundtrack cool. is extremely ominous. Not like the pop music that pops up, which I love, by the way. But the, the like the you know the soundtrack, um, the score mm-hmm. is it, it's incredibly scored ominous. and shot yeah. like a yeah, it's, got it's like a horror, almost like look. a horror film. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, I don't know. I was almost mm-hmm. like expecting more genre type stuff. And um, per, I don't know. I was. I, I think you guys are more high on this movie than I was. I keep teetering between like three and three and a half stars, honestly, just because I don't know. I, I don't know who I would recommend this movie to. That's why I keep coming back to of like, like mm-hmm. who would hey, I yeah, recommend? Brandon, this? Brandon recommend yeah, yeah Brandon. But <laughs> like, you should watch this movie. It just you know, it's like about like you know, rich people, but they're not really rich, and they're they're pretending to be rich, you know, which is like. You know, it's pretty interesting, but also I just kind of like wasn't super into that. You know, I like I like I like the idea of playing with identity and like really, you know, who they 
who they truly are, but I didn't feel like the movie went mm. super in depth on that. Like it was a lot of like, um, you know, Jude Law, like, I, I don't know. I Heart Huckabees is one of my favorite movies. Like that's one of my top, top 10, 15 favorite movies. And he goes through like a similar thing in that movie where he's like constantly telling the story about Shania Twain and showing mm. that like, he is someone of substance because he like knows Shania Twain and he like, it's like an image that he puts on. And then he like, kind of it comes down to like how he tries to stop telling the story and it's like how am i not myself and um you know all of that is like really interesting to me but like to me i just i, I like prefer that over this i mean that was a quirky comedy but you know that yeah. this just was um you know just i don't know the the thing about like pretending to be rich i guess it just kind of like i don't know I, I, by the end of it i was just like okay yeah okay cool yeah he, he doesn't but really I loved how they, they explored why and like, you know, talking about his his life with his dad and or, or not even really talking about it, but just very subtly hinting at <clears throat> at it. And um, and, and then, yeah, when he went to go see his mom and how cold his mom. Yeah, was. how cold his mom was. And, and I for, oh, there was I forget there was a something that his mom said that like made him like kind of shocked him and he kind of got almost teared up, teared up for a second because I think it was like, he was such a great man or, or, um, I don't know, but that, that like performance in that scene by Jude law was so incredible. Um, and just, yeah, kind of demonstrated the subtlety of the film, but also how powerful and complex, uh, I think the movie was and the characters were, um, but yeah, just just the mom says something pretty mundane, and the way that it, that that affects affected him was really interesting. I mean, there is a lot. I I, I don't think I'm giving it enough credit. I mean, yeah, it's definitely at least three and a half. So, um, <laughs> I uh, I I just um, I I. I, there it definitely is a lot of like subtlety to it like I almost like wish we had more time so we could like I don't know because I feel mm -hmm. like we could just have a whole conversation about the the scene with the mom you know because I thought she was like maybe justifiably cold because he like just vanished out of her life and hadn't seen him for you know 15 years or something so um, and then like the ending was yeah, I mean, like, like I think we could you know we could probably talk about the ending for half an hour we could probably talk about um, the horse for a really long time. Like yeah. I'm still pretty confused on what happened with the horse. You know, like I, I read Wikipedia afterward and it was like, yeah, improper burial. That's what happened. But then, uh, I mean, mm -hmm. it looked pretty proper to me. And then I was in a slash film and they were saying that like the horse was breathing. And I was like, yeah, I, I didn't I think see the that. Kids saw, yeah, the, the, the boy kids saw, saw the horse breathing. Yeah. But then by the time the mom got there, I don't think it was breathing anymore. I mean, yeah. So yeah. I, I, but that all that was very yeah I, I thought that was, I thought that was really cool and honestly that kind of sh uh, that scene was kind of a almost felt like a horror movie scene too uh, like when the kid goes out there and sees it did you see Rising it breathing did you guys see that yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I saw pretty it sure you did yeah. I absolutely saw it that's the scene like it, that it was shows one of the, the it's in the foreground the kids in the background you see its chest yeah. is pumping up and down okay yeah see I didn't I didn't see that. Was, that, was there was awesome. that scene and then like a couple other scenes almost made me think, is this movie going to go supernatural? God, like, I was thinking that until here? the very end. It's like it's going to flip mm -hmm. like that switch here any second. Yeah. I could feel it like they're yeah. in this creepy house. 
They're like, and see, I'm a weirdo. Uh, like, I'm a weirdo. Like, I would have loved like another half hour where it just gets supernatural and weird. But you know, well, they, they even uh, have that moment where she locks the door and then like she goes to lock the other one and looks back and the door's open. Y'all are strangers. Yeah, to totally. Me. Yeah. We're watching the others all of a sudden. You know. But happening. yeah. Uh huh. But no. Yeah. Just the dad came home and had his key. Like, <laughs> uh huh. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. um, that was a great. Again, I think there. I think we could keep talking about this movie for a long time, yeah. but we don't have. Uh, I think we need to go on to the next movie. But uh, really interesting pick, Brandon. Um, I feel like it's a, a pretty, pretty great drama, right? I mean, I think we can all agree that uh, very subtle and strong uh, drama, um, drama movie, and um, we rented it on Amazon. So I think all of us rented it on Amazon. Mm-hmm. So um, yeah. you can digitally rent it today. All right, guys, so my movie pick is next, and I picked uh, the new David Fincher film, Mank. Uh, I don't think David Fincher's made a movie for, like, six years. This is his first one since Gone Girl. He's also made other great movies such as, like, Seven and Fight Club and um, uh, The Social Network. Um, so, yeah, I mean, he's a great he's been director. caught up in television. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's been yeah. doing a lot of TV. You know, he did um, – he helps – you know, he did House of Cards and – I know there's another Netflix show he did, but um, Mank is his newest movie. Um, It went straight up to Netflix. It's a Netflix movie. So real quick, I'm going to read the plot summary. 1930s Hollywood is reevaluated through the eyes of scathing social critic and alcoholic screenwriter Herman J. Mankiewicz as he races to finish the screenplay of Citizen Kane. So... um, I think this movie um, has a lot going on, and I think it's extremely dense, um, but I, it's it's extremely a niche movie. You know, it's like it's it's <laughs> like the story is so specific about a specific time frame, a specific person doing a specific thing, and that thing is writing the script for Citizen Kane. But it's also about him, like just being in Hollywood, and um, it's told through a lot of flashbacks of um his life and how he got inspiration for for citizen kane you know citizen kane is the classic it's um regarded as one of the best movies ever made orson welles wrote and directed it and there's another like layer to this movie where um orson welles was trying to take sole screenwriting credit of the movie and mank uh did write the movie and um it's disputed how much um how much like Orson Welles actually wrote the, in real life. It's disputed how much he actually wrote. The movie implies that Mank, that Orson Welles didn't write any of it, but um, that has been disputed in real life. That's beside the point um, just because um, the movie is just all about Mank's perspective. And Mank's perspective is that he, you know, he's basically bedridden because he got into a car accident and he's dictating the ideas for the movie to his secretary and she's writing it all down. And he's having these like flashbacks. He's like reliving his life and his experiences in Hollywood. Um, and he's drawing inspiration from his experiences for the characters and the events of, um, of Citizen Kane. And, um, you know, I thought this was a pretty, pretty interesting movie. I, um, I, I, you know, it's kind of weird because David Fincher is like, to me, one of the best filmmakers like out there right now. Like he's, he makes consistently very worthwhile stuff. He's a great director. He puts a lot of thought into what he's doing. And, uh, you know, I think with this one too, like the cinematography is on point. It's uh, fascinating the way this movie shot. Um, the, um, the soundtrack is amazing. 
but also like it doesn't really to me feel like a masterpiece not that like every movie needs to be a masterpiece but this one feels like an extremely personal project the script was actually written by his late father um jack fincher i think his name is I was wondering but, i saw the name wasn't sure yeah. of the relation who, who died in 2003 yes yeah, he died a while so back i guess he wanted to make this movie back in the That's 90s really when his cool, dad was still actually. alive he wanted to make this like after the after the game, but he uh, he didn't make it, and he, he made it. He so this was him making it, and then, you know he's following his dad's script, and you know I feel like this is, is the kind of movie that's going to get a lot of like meh sort of reviews, but I think like in the long run, like in a few years, people are going to talk about this movie like similar to how like the Coen Brothers made A Serious Man or Spielberg made AI or Scorsese made Silence, like these like really personal movies that like have a lot going on, a lot of like interesting detail, a lot of like pretty like fascinating stuff, but also like um, not super um, accessible for everybody. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't know about you guys, but at least like for me at first, I was pretty confused with the plotting and the characters. Like I thought like almost everyone looked the same. So I was having a hard time like differentiating who was who. And uh, I also like was kind of like, taken out of it a little bit with like how he kept going back in time. I was having a hard time. Like there's, there's a point where um, it becomes about this like political um, there's a, there's a, um, a guy um, running for, for governor and his friend who citizen Kane is based on um, is trying to squash that guy from, from, from for his election. And the it's played by um, Bill Nye, the science guy, Bill Nye, the science <laughs> and guy. He, yeah. uh, oh, he yeah. starts, <laughs> So the, the studio that he's working for is making, um, what do you call it? They're making okay. like uh, propaganda ads about um, how the guy who's running is is awful and stuff. And so, and they work and he, but he's like torn up about it. Anyway, the, the movie though doesn't really have a plot line. I feel like it's kind of like all over the place, just kind of like dropping in on his memory and it's kind of just pulling ideas out. And, you know, some people are calling this a hangout movie and I don't, I don't really see it as a hangout movie in the same way that like Patterson or Before Sunset is. I feel like it's more of just like, I don't know. Like it's a, it's a very unique movie and I feel like it's just like about like the like the mind and how someone writes and how someone goes into their head to pull out stuff to like put on script and I feel like that's kind of just what the movie is. It's it's different than almost anything I'd seen and I, I don't think all of it works but I do want to say that like I watched it I basically watched it twice like a second time I didn't watch it all the way through but after I watched the first time, I like I watched some video reviews and I read a bunch about it and then I watched it again and I, it made a lot more sense. Like I was just like, okay, this is everything that's happening and it was much easier to follow knowing what was going on and stuff. So um, again, I think it's going to be a movie that like people will talk about more fondly in a few years, but um, it's just so different than than most movies and so. I don't know. It's, you know, it's all about old Hollywood. So I really think that like, if you have a fascination or an interest in old Hollywood, you're probably going to be more akin to like get into this movie. Um, but also, uh, you know, um, I don't know. I guess I, guess I, I want to open it to you guys because uh, I think like all, Mark all Nick's words, this movie will age well. Well, I think well, Nick's on to something with that because I think part of it is, David Fincher is a very popular director in pop culture. And this is not like what we're used to getting from David Fincher at all. 
And so I think people just being, mm-hmm. it's been so long. David Fincher's finally coming out with a new movie. It's kind of, I think it's. There isn't a single pervert. It's in kind this of movie. disappointing, I think, for some people just because it's, you don't get that, that David Fincher thriller, like, you know, that top notch, like one of the best thrillers you've ever seen, like, which is what he usually delivers. Um, mm-hmm. And so I think I would bet that people are viewing it more skeptically than they would if it was just some no-name guy that made the same exact movie. You know what I mean? And so I think in that sense, it probably will age very well once people are looking back at his career and they're like, you know, like that was like a really cool, like different movie. Um, part mm. of his like, you know. Yeah, it'll add to the variety yeah. of the breadth yeah. of his career. Yeah, because nothing about it's like inherently bad. It's just, like he said, it's like it, it feels very personal and it's a lot of... Yeah. It's a lot of just people sitting and talking um, yeah. about this things that happened like 90 years ago, you know, a long, long time ago. <laughs> so it's like, yeah, this is a movie that pretty much every scene was so fun to watch. Like I just just enthralled by everything that Gary Oldman was saying, every moment of his performance and um, the super fun banter, the, the you know, super sharp wit and um yeah i just loved listening to him talk and him do that act or that um him talk the way that he was talking it was so interesting like the i don't know i don't know what, Old you, man <laughs> his tone. what you got yeah his tone and and the way he kind of his the tempo Gary of the way he talked so was really interesting yeah, he's, he just and, you lose um, him in movies like he's like an under i know he's like it's very well acclaimed he won best actor like two years ago yeah. but he still feels underrated in a lot of ways because he just morphs uh, you lose him yeah. in movies and he yeah, he's just really yeah good. definitely uh um, but yeah, like, you know, I don't know how much in the end it really all came together and just nailed, nailed the ending or, you know, or how much it all like, <clears throat> I don't um, think it came together. Honestly, I don't think like, I yeah. think the, like the, the last, like the climax of the movie is him having the conversation with Orson Welles that he wants screenwriting credit. Mm-hmm. And that had like been mentioned before, yeah. like it just like come up that he wasn't going to get mm-hmm. credit. And it was like a big dramatic moment yeah. where he, he's like confronting Orson Welles about it. But like, like that's the climax of the movie, but like it doesn't build to that, mm-hmm. you know, it just kind of, uh, you know, he's just kind of yeah. like, I want credit. Well, blah, blah. And then they have an argument, yeah. but you know, I, I mean, it is an interesting character arc for him. I think, um, him, him deciding to do that and it, and it kind of shows that he has grown and changed and learned throughout the movie but but yeah it's, it, it is a really interesting way to end it because it's it's not yeah it's not a a through narrative that that um kind of builds logically to that that uh character arc um but yeah i just like i guess my whole thing it was just such a fun movie to watch um yeah, it's so well shot. Um, I love the sound design um, of the movie. I need to jump in there. <laughs> uh, I didn't. I didn't personally have a problem understanding it, but uh, I, I like that it. It sounded like these characters were on these huge sound stages in in old Hollywood, and you could hear, hear their voices like reverberating. Sure. On, so I on the I watched walls. Citizen Kane and this movie back to back, night to night, and. 
Um, they were obviously trying to mock a 1940s soundstage recording microphones, overdub, whatever they did back in that day. And they, this is weird that I'm talking about sound design twice in the same episode. I don't think I've talked about sound design <laughs> in like years for about a movie. But God, like again, I'm not getting old, but this movie, they like messed up in the mixing here. Well, you are like, getting old. We're I, getting old. <laughs> I literally had to turn on the subtitles. And I know that the dialogue is sharp and witty and complex, but the way they were mixing that old sound, like Citizen Kane, I had not a single issue the entire movie. But this one, I had it cranked, and then I had to turn on subtitles like 45 minutes into the movie. And finally, when the subtitles were on, like I felt really relieved, and I was pissed I didn't do it earlier. Um, I don't know, but I don't think you should have to do that in a movie, especially when I watched Citizen Kane the day before, and it was fine. Definitely didn't even think about the sound in this movie. Yeah, I, I mean, had no issues the whole time. Yeah, neither, right. neither I guess I did think about the neither sound. Neither did I, but, but I, no, Nothing about the sound bothered me. I did listen yeah. to it on headphones. I do think about 40 yeah. minutes into the movie gets a lot more interesting, in my opinion. Like, there's that scene about half an hour in where he, like, goes to that, um, the shoot, and you don't know how or why he got there. That was, like, another thing that kind of threw me off with this movie, where, like, he would he would just appear in places. And, like, the first time watching it. Yeah, you know, <laughs> in a lot of ways, it was kind of like Inherent Vice, where, like, it, like he would just appear places, and you'd be like, wait, how did he get the, what, what's, what's going on? Like, that guy invited him to his aunt's house, and all of a sudden he wakes up at the aunt's house, like, what? And he's hungover, he's drinking. But I think, like, that's, like, it's in his memory, you know? So I think you can excuse a lot of that kind of stuff just as like, mm-hmm. it just it's something that happened in his memory. But, um, yeah, Brandy, I'm sorry that you couldn't hear the movie. Um, I, I don't know. I, again, I watched a lot of movies with subtitles anyway. So, but, um, I don't know that that's kind of strange. What do you guys man. think of him, him and his wife's relationship in this movie? I liked that. I liked that. She was, uh, poor Sarah. Like that was that was like literally her name. Like I don't know if she's credited He's as like, that. Sarah, but in, who's Sarah? Oh, you mean yeah. poor Sarah? Oh, you mean literally in the subtitles they capitalized the P on poor Sarah. Like it was like like Orson Welles like was I'm, like oh I'm curious have if it poor changes. Sarah sell over that house and yeah. does it change after oh, no, she's it, like don't call me poor Sarah anymore. Um, it seemed a little sad and uh, like he I don't know he wasn't that great of i mean he was an alcoholic he was he neglected her a bit and she provided way too much for him it seemed like and he and he knew it he asked her so many times like why the hell are you with me and the best answer she could give him was like um i'm I'm not bored like you keep like at least it's interesting when i'm around yeah i know i love that line actually that was the best answer she could give like i've been with you this long i gotta see how it ends (laughs) it's <laughs> like really dark it's a little but, it's a little sad but yeah it's, it is yeah, really clever. but yeah but they had like just an interesting relationship throughout the whole movie because i was trying to pinpoint like where they're at like in their marriage like are they like getting are they like on the outs or are they like happily married or like what and there's because there's like a moment where he's kind of you know he's always kind of flirting with the girls throughout the movie and like she has him like follow Amanda Seafried like out of the room at one point when she exits and like They're at a party or something. Yeah. So I'm just, it kind of seems like she's a little more in touch with um, like him and his processes as a writer. And like, um, I don't know. It's just kind of an inter- interesting dynamic 
um, to see throughout the movie. And that was kind of one of the things that I was thinking about a lot throughout the movie whenever they were on screen together. It's like, where? It's just so hard to pinpoint. And then kind of at the end, yeah, I kind of, I kind of got the feeling that she was, it was kind of just like, you know, he's probably provided a pretty happy, like, you know, money wise Mm -hmm. for her and the kids. And she understands that he's not going to be a part of their lives forever because he's an old man, old dying man. The 1930s and... He's what his ex is supposed to be like forty three. Really, yeah. yeah, that's what they say. He's like, you're an old man. He's like, I'm forty three or something. Like Gary Oldman's not forty three. No. Yeah, like sixty or something. Uh-huh. But, uh, I, I wanted to highlight just a couple of really great scenes. The huge um, like parlor room hangout with like fifty yeah. people all having the same discussion ah, so at once. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's like super unrealistic, but just artful and fun to watch this like mob of people having this intellectual conversation mm-hmm. with each other. Yeah. Um, I was and then also the, the, um, the first election. time I saw it, but then when I came back around, I was like, okay, so maybe they're not like, again, I got kind of, I got kind of hung up on like the realism of the movie and it was like, okay, maybe like they're all just in his mind a little bit. Like it doesn't really totally matter. Like if they're all still sitting there having the same conversation Anyway, go on, didn't mean to interrupt you, but yeah. Yeah. Yeah, a little unrealistic, but like artful, and and, and then mm-hmm. other scene that really stopped for me is like the election scene. Yeah, um, was just like really created. Like the editing in that scene was crazy and really well done. Um, all the he went out of his way to get these like amazing Orson Wellian quick shots that are so well staged, but they last like half a second and then just moves on to the next cut. Um, and that was all over the election scene as well. I liked that a lot. Um, yeah. I mean, we real quick before before we move on to the next movie, I just wanted to like real quick, you know, just because they both came out like this month, you know, um, behind the scenes, like we've all talked about uh, like for years, the three of us, the four of us have like compared Christopher Nolan and Dave Fincher like directly for some reason. I think it's because they typically come have movies that come out around the same time. I mean, Nolan in the last six years has come out with more movies than than Fincher. But for a while there, it was like they were like they came they came up around the same time. Then it was like they were both making indie movies. Then Nolan went in one direction where he was making bigger movies that were thoughtful but bigger and Fincher went like more like into thriller but like also like very smart and um so I don't know we've like we for whatever reason the four of us have always compared these guys directly I think there was a point where and we, now that we have two movies that could not possibly be more different <laughs> yeah. let's compare them. well like who won, who won this round you know like uh like I don't think I don't think it's I don't think we have enough time to like do a full like who's better yeah, Nolan or Fincher, but yeah. like I do think that like both of them both of these movies were like kind of I don't want to say weaker, but yeah maybe maybe weaker is the you know like not, not their best like I don't think movies. I don't think either of these movies were their like masterpieces, and like in some mm, ways yeah. like showed like the faults of both of their of both of them in a lot and like like both of them were like a little bit more confusing than they needed to be. I think I think they were and, both, they were both like overindulgent by these directors, like in their yeah. own like craft and stuff, their own style. Re- and regardless, stuff. I think, I think Fincher won this round and I yeah. think he's won the war as well. Ooh, well the war still I've going, definitely right? like tenant. I'll probably watch many, many times. Uh, I've already watched it twice and, uh, I don't Whoa. know. I might watch make again once. 
Um, it probably wasn't interesting enough for me to really revisit too many times. I'd, I'd say Mank was the stronger film overall. I think there's more to like talk about and like like intellectually appreciate with Mank. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and I, I think I'll go back to it. Um, you know, again and again probably. But also, yeah, honestly, like after I watched this movie, the first thing I thought was like, oh, I'm probably going to rewatch that movie. Yeah. I mean, I had a I'm lot. Honestly, I had a lot more fun with the rewatch than I did the first watch. Like mm-hmm. I finished the first mm-hmm. watch and I was kind of like, I don't know, guys. Like I was seriously like I'm kind of like blah on it a little bit. And then the rewatch, I was mm-hmm. like, this is exciting, you know, but um, yeah. is that the case with Tenet? I, I Derek, did you was the second viewing better than the uh, first? It was just as much fun. I was yeah. it was more fun like understanding what is actually happening in the mm-hmm. uh, the action scenes like knowing like what comes later. Uh, it was funner to pay attention to all the little details, and like actually, it was a lot. I was more curious about how they filmed it the first time, and then rewatching it, I was able to kind of catch like, oh, I get I get how they did that. Like that's really cool how they did that right there. Mm. So that was really fun. Cool. So, um, so Brand says uh, Fincher uh, won the round and the war, which I think is presumptuous because they're hopefully going to make like ten more movies each. Um, mm-hmm. Derek says Nolan, Sean says Fincher. Um, cool. So the war. What does Nick say? Gosh, I think I'm going to go Fincher, but I, I think they're extremely close. Honestly, I think they're both. I think I'm going to end up giving both four star movies, but I don't think either is going to make my top ten of the year. Maybe either top top twenty, depending on the rest of the year, how the year goes. So, um, anyway, uh, I think let's go on to the last movie. Sean, you got the last movie of the day. Is that me? Could be. All right. Um, <clears throat> all right. The movie I picked was uh, Wolf Walkers. Uh, the IMDb plot summary is: A young apprentice hunter and her father journey to Ireland to help wipe out the last wolf pack. But everything changes when she befriends a free-spirited girl from a mysterious tribe rumored to transform into wolves by night. Nice. Um, This is a Tom Moore film who um, did a couple other incredibly animated films, just beautifully animated films, uh, Song of the Sea and The Secret of Kells. Um, The studio, which... um, Blanking on the name, I don't remember. Uh, but the studio also did The Breadwinner. Yeah, that's uh, in my top is, ten handful yeah, of years ago. It's also a, an incredible film. Um, and so, yeah, this guy is just kind of batting a thousand at this point. And, um, <clears throat> um, yeah, it's uh, all three movies have a lot of very similar um, themes and ideas and story devices. Um there are all three uh, have children who have lost a parent or both parents and uh, are being looked after by kind of an overprotective fam- uh, a parental figure. Sometimes it's an actual parent still. Sometimes it's a, a family member. Um, and they are in at least two of the movies. They're literally boxed in by a wall uh, of a, the wall of a city. Um, and they're kind of just growing up and, and um, starting to want to explore their world and, and see what there is out there in the world. But they're overprotective 
parental figure is is uh, trying to keep them safe and keep them from exploring that world. So I thought I think that's really interesting. I actually rewatched both uh, Secret of Kells and uh, Song of the Sea in the last couple months, um, and uh, I thought that was really interesting. He's like these are some really strong ideas and themes that he carries into all of his movies. Um, and actually, come to think of it, Breadwinner is a is a yeah, it sounds very similar too. Um, similar. some similar themes um and yeah there's just there's a lot of of depth to his movies um in a lot of ways honestly not just the themes but also like all of his movies are very much steeped in folklore and i don't know anything about irish folklore but i assume it's it's kind of historical irish folklore and Irish creatures and and uh, magic. Right, Wolf Walker's um, got to be a real story, right? A real uh, yeah. Thing. I'm not sure if it's based on a, a f- folklore story or or if just the idea of the Wolf Walker is a is an Irish folk tale or, or uh, you know it's a. I'm taking a class in mythology uh, right now, actually, and I can tell you that there's a lot of history with Irish folklore uh, turning into animals and. Um, I can't tell you about specifically anything about wolves or people turning into wolves, but this right. is a mm-hmm. common thing. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I love that. And then like everything about his movie um, is also steeped in Irish culture, like from the music to the art style, the visuals um, and, uh, <clears throat> and obviously the setting, uh, all of them are in, in Ireland except for the breadwinner. Uh, but <clears throat> It's, uh, yeah, and just the ideas and the themes are so interesting, um, unexpectedly interesting from a kid's movie like this. There's there's kind of a lot of sadness and a lot of um, uh, darker themes to these, to these movies and um, deals with death and the loss of, of uh, people that you love, um, and it doesn't really shy away from them. Um, and yeah, I, I guess, I, do I even have to mention the art of the, of this movie? Um, it's so interesting and this one's even a little different from the other ones in that it, it like leaves behind some pencil marks, uh, from yeah. like sketch, inside sketching the marks too. inside the characters. So there's like, leave the um, that adds image. another layer to it. But like, man, just the art of this movie is so incredible and unique. Um, and it's. It, it says so much about what's going on and and about the characters. You know, it's like um, in just a, a single shot, you could you can just look at it almost like a painting and be affected by it emotionally. And then on top of that, you have like this whole story behind it. Um, and it's almost like if you if you go to a museum or an art gallery and you're looking at a piece of art. And you know you you just look at it and it's it's beautiful all uh, all by itself. But then you kind of you'll often have little um, descriptions underneath them, and then you read that and you look back at the picture and it had, takes on a whole new meaning, and um, you know it can really affect you emotionally and it kind of puts a story to it. And it's almost like that's what he's doing with this movie. He's like creating the story for this artwork uh, that that just. Um, that play together those two things play together so well yeah uh, and it's just you know it's such an emotional 
and powerful experience. The art, honestly, is where I got most of my enjoyment out of this movie. Like, it was so fun to look at and just see how they were crafting, like, shot by shot and different ideas. There's even some, like, really abstract, awesome things. Just the way the city looked Mm -hmm. and that top-down view of just the grid of that, like, super enclosed, restrictive um, village that they had authoritarian village it was yeah it was really abstract and interesting um the the script was so simple and tight and everything comes full circle i i loved that about this film um like anyone can get that i know derek i think it's cool um that you watched it uh with phoenix you can talk about that later but like it should be such a great kids film as long as the ending doesn't get too scary and this film did something on the in the ending that was really great the client it sets up and it reaches this point where the rest of the movie is just one long extended climax and it literally lasts like 35 mm-hmm. minutes of just like a sequence of events that builds and builds and builds of just action and adventure um once it gets once it gets rolling um and it builds to like an epic you know fire and amazing climax that uh i was just really into and i think uh, it's just really great written script yeah, I love the the art too, Brandon. You were talking about how yeah. like beautiful and abstract some of it was. Like that, I, I agree. That's what really sucked me into this movie. It was just like it's one of those movies where I could just like be like, "Wow, this is so cool! How it looks, it's really cool." I really liked how um, my my one of my favorite parts was how uh, the imagery of when she was turning into the wolf and. Uh, like the POV of her going through the town as the wolf and how like, it was like her spirit kind of was like trying to get back to her body a little bit. And like mm-hmm. that whole like dream esque sort of uh, view that they were going with. Um, that was a part that I got really into. It was cool world building. Like just that concept yeah. is just unique and new and uh, how you stay asleep and she has to get back to her body. And that was just a really interesting story. Mm-hmm. And her trying to fight the sleep for <laughs> as long as she can because she, she doesn't have control over it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, Again, this is like stuff that right, right out of mythology. Like, the, I, I can't tell you exactly what amount. It's not like a deep class. It's an intro to mythology class. But like, you know, this sort of thing of like someone falling asleep and then turning into an animal and then they could potentially get stuck there. Like that's, you know, that's what happens to like the wild girl's uh, mom. She gets like captured as a wolf and so she's like stuck in that mm-hmm. body because she can't get back to yeah um very sad but also like yeah. you know th- it's pretty interesting like it's a that's the first scene where that happens is pretty surprising too yeah mm-hmm. when it when it happens to her and her dad yeah. is like freaking out mm-hmm. yeah it's a really great twist he's mm-hmm. carrying her around and she's just like asleep and like no one who knows no one who doesn't know what's going on is like okay he's just carrying sleeping his daughter who's asleep but it's like, no, she's actually that wolf over there. <laughs> yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I echo everything you guys say. I was looking at like even the image on letterbox, like you can see the circles for all the heads. Like, you know, the initial circle you draw when you're going to sculpt like a skull around it and stuff. You can see it on like all the wolves mm-hmm. and stuff. Like they leave that in. It's just a unique kind of, a little more personal way to show kind of the craft and stuff that they put into it. Yeah. Um, yeah. Phoenix was way, he was 
No offense, but well, I guess they're both your movies. He was way more into this one than Nausicaa. Uh, what? How I, dare he? I don't think he got up once through this whole movie. He just sat there. Oh, and nice. <laughs> we just watched it. It's always uh, still surprising yeah. to me when, like, Lane, you know, Lane loves movies, but also, yeah. like, you know, she's the first movie that she ever sat all the way through was My Neighbor Totoro. You know, yeah. she loves other movies, like, she loves 101 Dalmatians, but whatever it was, like, it's just still fascinating to me what movies kids, like, yeah, it's kind of don't move to. <laughs> this is only, like, maybe the third mm-hmm. one ever. Um, but I th- did it not get too intense at the end with like the wolves hunting all the people and just like taking them out in the woods and yeah I don't, he didn't seem to find it he's just oh that, that's other people he's brain. got like my stare I don't know if you know or I'm like he's <laughs> <laughs> just sit there like that and watch them so I don't know I mean yeah Sean um, you mentioned earlier or maybe it was Brandon but like that it's like a kids movie and like I was actually yeah. like thinking about that when you said that where I was like there's a lot of things about this I don't think our kids movie like i think it's an adult movie and adult anime movie in a lot of ways but then i remember the violence and the action at the end and it doesn't actually get ever get that violent like i feel like nausicaa yeah. mm-hmm. is way more violent yeah. and um yeah. other miyazaki movies and other anime movies that are more for adults definitely get more violent than than this one um because even when the wolves are like being brutal and stuff it's not like they're showing blood or i'm i even question whether anyone died a little bit yeah mm-hmm. yeah they just kind of disappear yeah Mm-hmm. They get chased off. The movie does yeah, like great movie. Makes me really want to go back and uh, definitely watch Secret of Kells: Song of the Sea mm-hmm. for sure. This like really blew me away, and it's getting a lot of acclaim for sure. Like yeah. this, I don't know. This will probably be up for an Oscar, and that's, yeah, I, I don't know so. if that's the first time it will be, but I bet it'll be on there. I feel like Secret of Kells was nominated at okay. least. I don't know about Song of the Sea. I also liked what they did in the the opening scene of the movie, um, which was kind of su- it was pretty surprising to me. Like, uh, like it pretty much opens up with like wolves attacking, and they you know scratch that guy, and he's all bloodied and stuff, and they come out and heal him. But it was like it was a good tone setter, I think, for the uh, the rest of the movie, and it was kind of it was kind of a shock because I really wasn't expecting it to be like a that kind of movie um i hadn't seen any trailers for it or anything but it just looks so it looks so sweet and happy you know (laughs) Mm -hmm. but it really was for the most part um yeah um yeah, I mean, it was a really good movie, Sean. I'm, re- I'm really glad you picked this one. This was like, yeah, I yeah. hope it gets nominated for Best Anime Movie, and hopefully, it, maybe hopefully it wins. Maybe we'll see uh, if mm-hmm. other big yeah, ones we'll come out. Yeah, we'll see. Go- we'll see. Uh, wait, what's it called? Oh, Spirit? Soul. Is. But, um, soul. We'll see yeah. Soul. But, um, but I think. I yeah, think, I would. Uh, I think we should maybe wrap up the episode, guys. Yeah. Uh, you know. Yeah. Um, so, uh, you know, just. Uh, it's been fun talking about these movies. And like I said, at the top of the show that we have a few more uh, December movies coming out, uh, Christmas, there's a few big releases that come out on Christmas day, right to streaming services. So, um, real quick, we're going to go over the movies that we're going to talk about next month. But, uh, so Derek, what movie uh, are you picking for, for next month? Uh, wonder woman, 1984. It's finally getting released, uh, on HBO max on Christmas day. So, if you have that, it's just a free uh, $200 million blockbuster you can watch at home. So, Yeah. <laughs> very excited for this one. Uh, very curious about it and excited. Yeah. Um, 
I'm picking uh, Soul for my pick. Um, it's the new Pixar movie. It's coming out um, right on a Disney Plus again. I think on Christmas Day, and it's like I said, it's a new Pixar movie. But um, for, I, I honestly don't know the plot of it. But I've heard that it's similar to Inside Out in a lot of ways, which could be my favorite Pixar movie. Like if it wasn't for Toy Story, then Pix- then Inside Out would absolutely be my number one. So, um, uh, um, so. Brandon and Sean, um, you guys are kind of doing something different. Um, do one of you guys want to set up what's what's going on with uh, with your picks? Sure. Um, I guess we uh, <clears throat> we were just trying to figure out what we wanted to do with uh, small acts. Um, so, Steve McQueen's five movie. Uh, project five short film, film project anthology it's not project, really an anthology though because it. they're all like unrelated like they're all like yeah. i don't know what small acts means but every week for the last yeah. like five weeks he's been putting out a new movie every mm-hmm. friday on amazon prime and it's yeah crazy and um you guys are gonna watch yeah them. we're trying to figure out what to do about it and we're probably i'm probably gonna watch all five movies but um i think from what i've heard mangrove which is i believe the first one that he put out is seems to be his the best um reviewed or you know people tend to think that that one's maybe his best and it's his longest as well it's a little over two hours so it's kind of feature film length, so I think we just will yeah. talk about that one. And Brendan, will, I don't remember. I'm going to watch all five as well. Mm-hmm. And I've heard Lovers Rock is up there with one of the better ones, so we'll see which one. Yeah. What else we talk about? But it'll yeah. probably be Lovers Rock. I think Lovers Rock is the second one too. But I mean, I hear you. I, I was already planning yeah. on watching all all five of them um, before our next recording. Um, so yeah, I figure. Yeah, if you, if you change it from Lovers Rock or Mangrove to something else, that's totally fine. But yeah, we're going to watch mm-hmm. all five. I mean. Derek, you don't have to watch all five. None of us have to watch all five, but um, I think like uh, I'm planning on it, and uh, then you know we'll we'll report on which two are the best, and maybe go over the other ones in a little bit of detail. But um, you know, Steve McQueen is, I mean, he's like yeah. one of the best directors working today too, right? I mean, yeah, for sure. He's only done extremely emotional, powerful movies. So, um, yep crazy that there's five new steve mcqueen movies just on amazon prime yeah. right now like what's going on and they all if you look at rotten tomatoes they're all like incredibly acclaimed so um yeah yeah we have to cover that long ago he came out with a feature film too two years yeah. ago widows his widows so he made widows these came out last like two years, years yeah so i think it was widows movies. and then before that was 12 years of yeah, slave yeah, yeah. yeah so anyway with that i think that we should uh wrap up yeah. so um Again, uh, we will watch these four mo- these four to uh, seven movies, <laughs> and uh, we will cover them uh, probably in January. That'll be our January episode. But yeah, uh, might be early January, maybe. Yeah, I'm, I'm thinking. We'll hopefully, see. we can put one out in early January. So, um, mm-hmm. this has been the monthly movie dispatch. Uh, thanks for listening, and keep watching. See ya. Bye.